0: We are here today to celebrate the Savior, and uh, that is the name of this series we're in too, to celebrate the Savior. That's what it's all about, and uh, celebrate the Savior is looking at the greatness of Jesus Christ. What's so awesome about Jesus? And we're actually going to be looking at seven different Facets of the greatness of Christ throughout this series, right? Whenever God gets involved in something and he's trying to make a statement about the divineness of it and the perfectness and the completeness of it, right? He tends to use a number, and that number is seven. He loves to use the number seven. And uh, seven different facets of Jesus Christ. We're not making these up. We're not like, hey, let's just come up with seven. Our roadmap is actually going to be the Jewish feasts. We're looking into the Old Testament and we're walking through these feasts that we're teaching them to celebrate. And there's seven different Jewish feasts in Leviticus 23. And so we're walking through each of those. Remember, the feasts, they look back into how God worked with Israel. There's a historical look back. And God expressing his character into the nation of Israel in some way. So there's a look back, right? Everybody say back. But there's also a look forward. There's this fulfillment in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The greatness of who Christ is as he ultimately, finally fulfills that feast, all right? An ultimate and final fulfillment looking forward to Jesus Christ. So a look back and a look forward. So each and every week as we walk through one of the feasts, we're doing a quick look back and then a look forward and a celebration of Jesus Christ, all right? So that said, remember when we started, we walked through the first three feasts. They were all about the first coming of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, right? The first three were all about Jesus Christ providing for us as Savior. He went to the cross. He breathed his last. On the First month, 14th day at twilight, right? Everybody just say, God has a plan. And from eternity past, he knew what he was doing, and as he rolled out the Passover feast, he was celebrating what was to come in Jesus Christ, and he died on Passover, and he then was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he rose on the Feast of Firstfruits. All three of those, back to back to back, fulfilled at Jesus' first coming, Right? And then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus. He came down to the church. He ended up gathering in. And so there was this giant in-gathering that came as the first 3,000 of the church as we know it were put together, were rallied together by the Holy Spirit. And so the first four were literally, physically, and consecutively fulfilled in Jesus Christ as Savior, Right? And so now we're looking at the last three. Last week we looked at the Feast of Trumpets, and this week we're going to be looking at the Day of Atonement. And and as we look at these last three, they're about the second coming of Jesus Christ, all right? These are about the second coming. Now, with the first ones, we had statements like, He is our Passover Lamb, and I am the bread of life, right? We had these comments from Jesus and statements from Paul and whoever else that made it clear those feasts were fulfilled in Christ. With the future ones not yet happened, right? So now we're looking for alignment where there's a match. We don't have that final statement because it has not yet been ultimately finally fulfilled. And so we're going to be looking at each of these feasts in that regard. These are about the second coming. This is looking forward to the coming of Christ. Remember the literal, physical, consecutive fulfillment of the other feasts. So we're looking for the same now, the literal, physical, consecutive fulfillment of these future feasts. And maybe you were here with us last week and you're like, I don't know, man. Why are we doing this end time stuff? I'm not sure I really get some of what's going on with the whole second coming statement. And, and uh, I just want to say this. Have you ever been talking to somebody about a book and you're like, oh, man, that book was awesome. This was so good. And as you're talking, they're like, yeah, wasn't it? And then you're like, what'd you think of the ending? And they're like, ah, I don't know. I didn't read the ending. I don't really know how it ends. That doesn't matter to me that much. I just love the middle couple of chapters of that. You're like, dude, you don't know the book, right? And so our goal here is not just to know the middle portions of the scripture, not just to know pieces that may apply to us in the moment, but also to know the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and to know the end. The speaking, creating God, Jesus Christ, became Savior and ultimately will become reigning King. And all of God's people said... And uh, our job here as we go through this in this end time stuff is not to get all these little detail pieces nailed down. It's to get this nailed down. Jesus has it in hand. And all of God's people said, that's what we're doing. That's where we're headed. All right? So turn with me, if you will, to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. And uh, we're going to start in verse 26. Leviticus 23, starting in verse 26, as we look at the Day of Atonement, celebrate the restoring and destroying one. Celebrate the restoring and destroying one. Point number one here is instructional. Celebrate that God has a plan to deal with sin completely. Instructional. Celebrate that God has a plan to deal with sin completely. Remember, whenever you look at the book of Leviticus, you're going to be looking at some instruction from God, Yahweh To Israel back at that time, here's how I want you to walk along with me. There was some instructions on their worship, right? That's why it says instructional here. All right, so here we go. We start in verse 26. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day of the 7th month is the day of atonement. On the 10th day of the 7th month is the day of atonement. So here's a little bit of recipe again, right? 10th day, 7th month. And remember, we see that number seven here, right? That's the sign that God's all over this, designing into this. So in the seventh month, God's doing some huge things. Remember, we looked back last week, Feast of Trumpets was on the seventh month first day. This is now seventh month tenth day, right? So there's a ten-day separation. In fact, the Jews would call this the days of awe. Every year they take time to be awed and blown away by the glory and the greatness of God, all right? The days of off from the first to the tenth, and we're now up to the tenth day of the seventh month, and uh, the tenth day of the seventh month, and uh, what is the date we're on? What is it? The tenth day, seventh month, and that's where we're at, okay? The first was last week that we looked at, and now we're on the tenth. And just so you know, this is called the Day of Atonement. In Hebrew, the word day is Yom, right? And uh, atonement is Kippur. So Yom Kippur. Have you heard that before? right? And so that's what this is. We're looking now at Yom Kippur. And if you've heard it ever mentioned before and you're like, I have no idea what that is, now you're going to know after today, right? The Day of Atonement is the 10th day of the 7th month. It says, it shall be for you a time of holy convocation. We talked about that before. Holy means set apart, Convocation means rallying everybody together. The day is set apart for God. And uh, it says, And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Afflict yourself? Like what? Take a whip and like whip yourself? What are they talking about? What does this even mean? And, and uh, I'll just tell you, Psalm 35, 13. may want to write that verse down. But Psalm 35, 13, it says, Afflict yourself with the Fast. Okay, those are connected together and afflict yourself really means fast, take a break from food and notice it says afflict yourself or fast while you present a food offering to the Lord, like food not for you, but given to God in thanks. This is a moment where you're holding back on yourself. It's not wrong to be hungry, and it's not wrong to eat. But on this day is a day of called out fast. Lord, I'm separating back away from the daily felt needs of hunger, and I'm going to look more to you. This is all about you. And then offering back a thanks and blessing offering to your God that day. Holding back on me, making it much about him. It says, and you shall not do any work on that day, for it is a day of atonement. To make atonement for you before the Lord our God. The word atonement literally means to deal with sin. Or to be more specific, to pay for sin and put sin away. Atonement. To make sure that sin is dealt with. And he's like, make sure there's no work being done either. This isn't about trying to get ahead. This is about taking that break and celebrating your God. Making much of him. Going through a fast. May God get all the praise. He says, ready? For whoever is not afflicted on that day shall be cut off from his people. Everybody say, that's serious. serious. God's not joking around. And with the day of atonement, when he called them in to worship him, he's like, listen, I'm looking for a faith in me and a following of me. And as I call you to follow me and get after me, I'm going to be pretty real on this. I want you to come with me. And if you're not going to come with and not going to have faith, if you're not going to take that step of fasting with me, dude, that's it. And what does cut off mean? Well, for sure it at least means the blessings that were poured down through Israel to others weren't going to now pour to that person. They're like, I'm doing my own thing. And God's like, blessings pouring in aren't going to pour there. May even mean removed outside of the nation of Israel in some way. And uh, God taking it very seriously, this call to purity and this call to mercy cry and this call to fasting. It says, and whoever does any work on that day That person I will destroy from among his people. Everybody say, God's serious. This is a big deal, man. And what does the word destroy mean? Well, it it could mean life taken. It could mean that. It could mean removed outside the nation, no blessing poured down, which is the equivalent of lineage being stopped and all that. And it could mean that too. But whatever it is, can we just agree with this? It's not good. We good with that? And God's like, I'm serious. I want you to come along with me. I want you to have a faith in me. And I want you to rest in me and find mercy from me. God, very serious on the day of atonement, that there is a mercy to be had, that there is a repentance that should come. And on the same side, he will bring that mercy with all he's got in love. But where there's a, I won't follow you, there is a destroying, there is a taking that seriously and standing up against the rebellion. God does both on the Day of Atonement in a huge way, all right? He says, it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves, there we go again, right? Have the fast, right? On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbaths. I love how God is like super crystal clear. Remember the 10th, the days for the Jewish calendar, they always start in the evening. Remember at 6 o'clock, we talked about that. So right at evening, right as 6 o'clock turns, boom, it turns to the next day. So he's like, on the ninth day at evening, boom, as it just turns over, that's it. He's like, I want the entire day of the 10th, from evening to evening, from 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock, from sunset to sunset, I want that to be about worshiping and celebrating me with the fast. And with no work, may you come and cry out for mercy, all right? This is a huge call for God to them. Now, I put the passage in there as well, Leviticus 16, verses 9 and 10. And we're not going to turn there if you want to. At some point, you can. There's a lot of detailing. Leviticus 16 shows you a ton of what actually is going on on the Day of Atonement. And there's a lot of symbolism and things like that in it you can look at. But one thing I wanted to make sure we got as a point. There are two goats in the Day of Atonement. Two goats, all right? And the first goat, they like cast lots to figure out which one, but the first goat ends up becoming a sacrifice. And the blood of that goat is to pay for the sins of the nation of Israel, all right? So the first goat is all about sacrifice. Its blood pays. Everybody say pays. And the second goat stays alive. And what the priest actually does is he lays hands onto this live goat And he prays the sins of the nation onto the goat. Whatever sins came in that last year, whatever needs to be taken care of, he prays it onto the goat. Ready? And then they send that goat out into the wilderness. This is as Leviticus 16 describes it. Send it out into the wilderness to carry the sins away. Put away the sin. So sin is paid for with the one goat and put away with the other goat. In fact, the name for that goat is called a scapegoat, right? That it might carry away our sin. And you often hear that term nowadays in our society as somebody who had to take some punishment or rap for something. And this is all about that goat taking the sins away. So there is a paying for and a putting away. Please hear me. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of both of those goats. Jesus Christ on the cross, when he died and breathed his last, his blood covering the sin that we so wrongly went after, and he pays for that sin. But more than that, he was buried as the unleavened bread, and as he was buried, he takes our sin away. It is paid for and put away. And on the day, amen, man, and on the day of atonement, it is celebrating this. We have a God who's managing sin completely. Praise be to God. May we come to him with all we've got. That's what's going on in the day of atonement. All right. So uh, here's an awkward transition. Have you ever been in with your family and decided to play a board game? And you're like, how does that have anything to do with what we're talking about right now? Hang on. Bear with me. So we're not really a board game family. And uh, we would love to be, we feel like we should be, we shame ourselves that we're not, but we're not. And uh, we, we have one kid in our family who loves games, and the other three of us are like, eh, whatever. And we prefer to talk and chit-chat, and so we do that a lot, maybe too much. Maybe we should have pulled more board games out over time. So as we decided in junior high and high school to do a little bit more game stuff with the kids, we would always pull out one game usually the most, and that game was Phase 10. Have you ever played Phase 10? There's 10 rounds to that thing if one person wins every single round and it's the same person all the time. Otherwise, there's gabillions of rounds (laughs) to that game. And I have no idea what made us pick that. But we would always say, oh, let's play FaceTime. And we're all excited. And we're as a family, we're together. And you get like five rounds in and we're like, why did we do this to ourselves, right? And our personalities all start kicking in, and so John and I are both competitive. So we start leaning in, we're like, we're gonna end this game by winning it, right? So now we're leaning in, we're gonna play hard. One of my daughters is like, yeah, there's tension now, I don't like the game anymore. Right, that's one of my daughters, you can figure out who they are. My other daughter is like, I love to be social. And let's just chat. And now you have to remind them every time we get around that it, it's their turn. And, and this is how everybody copes with the pressure of the game is just not working, right? And, and we're in this moment as we're playing this game where it has become all about the ritual, not the relationship. And we lost it to the point where we get to the end of the game. Somebody wins and we're like, thank goodness, man, we put that in the drawer. Started, why do we ever open that drawer, right? And we walk away and like, that's it for us. We're done with that game for a while. And and we can all go our ways. And how sad that it doesn't end with us talking and joking. And, oh, I remember when you played that card. And, like, that doesn't happen. Like, <laughs> we get done and we're done with the game. And we've got too much to be about ritual, not relationship. Man, I'm just telling you, as God gave the Day of Atonement to the Jews, it was pointing, yes, to his seriousness about sin. And it was pointing to the Messiah who would get it done. And they became more about ritual Then relationship, they began to miss who Jesus Christ was as he was unveiled right before them and missing it, being all in depth into the ritual and not the relationship with their God and him pointing them to Jesus Christ. Man, Jesus Christ, he is our hope. And all of God's people said, are you about the ritual or the relationship?" Are you about getting fired up of being with him and hearing from him and worshiping him, or are you just going through the motions? Celebrate. That's relationship, man. Celebrate that Jesus Christ is the complete answer to sin. All right? Number two. Number two, historical. Remember the God who at Sinai forgave the repentant and punished the rebellious. Remember. The God who had Sinai forgave the repentant and punished the rebellious. We're going to pick this up in Exodus chapter 33. So remember, every week when we look at a feast, we're looking back historically. And so when we look at this one, uh, this is not as an exact tie where it gives us the date of it that we can match it up. But if you actually do the days, you add it up from the time they came out of Egypt. Remember, Israel was in Egypt captive 400 years. They were released By the 10 plagues, and the Pharaoh had it on the 10th one and got rid of them. So they were sent out. As they began to wander, they wandered out into the desert, and they came to Mount Sinai. You add up the days of the amount of time that Moses went up on the mountain, 40 days. And then there was time down below again. And then back up for 40 days. You add that up. And it's basically he's going up right at the sixth month first day, and he's up there 40 days. And if you add 40 days in the Jewish calendar, where every month is 30 days, it becomes the seventh month, tenth day. And so by Jewish tradition, they're like, hey man, this Exodus 33 occurred on the day of atonement. That's what's going on. And so they read this passage every year Now, let's make sure we understand the Jews came out of Egypt and they were like really happy, like we're done, we're no longer slaves. And then within instantaneous moments, they were like, never mind, we can't believe this, this is horrible. And they started to get a bit complaining as Moses went up and got the Ten Commandments. He's up with God, he comes back down with those Ten Commandments. And as he comes down with the law written by God, a message to God's people, he hears partying going on. Celebration and he can't figure out what it is. And as he gets closer, he sees they have actually taken some of the gold, much of the gold that they got from Egypt, and they melted it down and built a golden calf out of it. They got all that from Egypt, and now they're building an idol like they saw in Egypt. And now they're sitting there worshiping this thing they made with their own hands. Everybody say that's a terrible plan. And Moses lost his cool. He sees this, he throws the tablets down, they break. Ten Commandments breaks. Did you know that? The first set broke. Moses goes, smash! All right. Probably not the best idea, right? Everybody say, not a good idea. I really, it'd be cool if there was a Bible written as, as it went along in the Old Testament. Just put a little commentary moment. Not a good plan, right? Just so as you're reading, you're like, that wasn't good, right? And you get the confirmation and Moses slams down these Ten Commandments and he breaks them, loses his cool. God ends up saying, I want you to deal with this. He pulls the Levite priests together and God points out those who do not have faith in him and they are not coming along with God. And that day, ready? 3,000 people had to be killed by Moses and the Levites because they would not take their stand. Remember, the Day of Atonement is all about This idea of following your God, and if you don't, there is serious repercussion. God takes sin seriously. Everybody say he takes it seriously. He He does, man. And so Moses had to kill these 3,000 along with the Levites, and now he's going back up onto Mount Sinai to talk with God, and he's not in the best of moods, all right? Just setting that up, here we go, Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. This passage gets read every year on the Day of Atonement by the Jewish people to remember the greatness of their God. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now, just so you know, what that means is, I thought you said I was supposed to bring the people, and now you just had me kill 3,000 of them. Am I bringing them or am I not bringing them? Basically, here's what he's saying. I did not like to have to do that job. I was not happy with having to take the lives of 3,000 people, and so now he's kind of throwing a jab. You're telling me I have to take the people? Who? And uh, he's beginning to talk a little smack with God. Uh, Everybody say this is a terrible prayer. Right? Have you ever been there, though, where you get in a moment where you are angry or upset or frustrated, and the words you begin to say to God are accusational, where you're right and he's wrong. Just so you know, that's actually never true. You get that, right? Like every moment where we're like, I'm so right and you're so wrong. Well, you just were wrong now. Right? And and we just lost it. And Moses, he's pretty bent. He says, you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses is like, you said I'd find favor in your sight. Can you please start making that happen? God, can you start bringing this along? Lord, will you please start doing what you said you do? Can you hear the attitude in Moses? And then he says, by the way, consider, too, that this nation is your people. Oh, man. This is getting a little out of hand, right? He's like, consider this, too, God. I know you might need a little help on this. This is your people, okay? And uh, this is a terrible prayer moment. And God said to him, just think of what you might say if you were God. Okay, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. All right? Everybody say God is patient. God is patient, man. He is patient with our sin. And as wrong as we are, he is working with us in our brokenness. Praise be to God. He is patient. And he says to Moses, "My presence will go with you. I will give you rest." Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. Are you hearing that? God's like, hey, my presence is going to go. And he goes, whoa, was there a question about that? If you're not going to go with, then don't even bring us up out of here. Moses is not hearing the patience. He's continuing to push in with a lot of smack attitude, with a lot of, I'm just going to say I'm right and I'm shaking my fist at you. Everybody say this is a terrible plan. It is a terrible plan. As he begins to say, I'm telling you this, I'm not happy with what you're doing. And uh, as God says, that he would absolutely respond, that he would give him hope, that he would give him life. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct?" I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. God, you with us is the plan. What do you mean you're going to be present? I thought that was a given. Please stay with us. And and the Lord said to Moses, all right, get ready. God is going to get ready to school him here. He says, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. Notice the patience, continuing in patience with him. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. He's like, what I said is true, and I will stand by it. Moses said, please then, show me your glory. God crying out to him, get who I am. And Moses crying out, please Lord, help me get who you are. Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, or in Hebrew, Yahweh, I am, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God is like, you hang on now, man. You want my glory coming before you? Here it comes, and my glory is monstrous, and here's how you'll see my glory. In my mercy, in my goodness, in my graciousness. It is going to be pouring off of me all over the place. And I'm telling you this, you're having a hard time with 3,000 men who have turned their back on me. Mercy is mine to give. Hang on, man. My glory is going to come thunderously past you right now. And it's going to be all cloaked in my mercy. That's who I am. God's mercy on full display. He says, get ready. Moses says, show me your glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim my name before you. I will show you my graciousness. I will show you my mercy. Then he says, but he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. He's like, dude, you have me way too small. Hang on. My glory is something you can't even handle. He said, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you shall never see. God's like, I'm just telling you this, Moses. I'm going to pour into you. I am. And I am now going to show you my glory like you have never seen before. And as I come by, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to pass by so that the glory that is beaming off of my face, which you could not handle, I will put my hands out to block that. So just a little is touching you as I go by. And as I get past you and I pull my hand away, my backside glory, which just so you know, in the Middle East, like your backside is like the demeaning lowest side of you. He's like, the glory coming off of my backside, you can barely handle with my hand coming away. Do you understand my glory? It's about ready to come pouring on you, man. Get ready, and I'm going to show you my stunning, vast greatness and my love and my kindness and my mercy. and my. Can you imagine the moment where the glory of mercy is pouring on so much that the mercy would kill you if it hits you. The presence of the greatness of the glory of God. And he's like, I'm going to have to cover up most of it because you can't handle it. But get ready. My mercy is coming on. He said, and you shall see my back and my face shall not be seen. Man, do you hear the Day of Atonement theme in this? While the Jews orally have worked through the traditions and it lands right into the beginning of this seventh month, they believe the seventh month, tenth day, you also hear the Day of Atonement theme. Man, there is a sin of complete presumptuousness that is willing and patiently to be addressed by God and forgiven. There is mercy on display, Man, but there is punishment as God sees fit, the Day of Atonement as God gets real with things. I'll just tell you, uh, there's a guy named Napoleon, emperor, a number of years back, right? And a ruthless dude, man. He was hardcore, and uh, he was mean and rough with his people. And uh, he had rules galore. And there was a guy who broke one of the rules. It wasn't recorded what rule he broke, but uh, Napoleon was like, that's it, you deserve death. Death in front of my army, they have to learn. And so he had it all set up, and that's what was going to happen. And the family came in to plead with him. And they're like, we've talked with him, the mother specifically speaking, we've talked with my son, he's, he gets he was wrong, he wants to say that he gets it, he's with you, he's, he's apologetic, please, ready, have mercy on my son, please. Napoleon looked at her and said, do you know what he has done? She said, yeah, I do. He said, he doesn't deserve mercy. And her answer was, no one deserves mercy. If they did, it wasn't mercy then. He doesn't deserve it. You're right. I'm asking if you would give it out of your greatness as a leader. That's all I'm asking. Napoleon sat there and looked at her. And that man did not lose his life. Napoleon ended up deciding that there is greatness expressed in my forcefulness to get my way. But there is even more gratefulness, greatness expressed just in my mercy on display. Napoleon began to taste just a sliver of the greatness of our God. His glory is in his mercy. Everybody say, it's in his mercy. His glory is in his graciousness and his goodness as he pours it on. Man, do you know the mercy of God? And as you remember back into your life, remember the mercies of God expressed See the greatness and the glory of God and grasp what it is to follow him, the one who so deserves your worship. Remember your merciful king, all right? Number three now, the Christological. It just means it's all about Christ. Worship Jesus who will save the repentant and punish the rebellious. This feast will ultimately, finally be fulfilled at the end completely in Christ. He has it in hand. And, you know, there are those, as we now look at these three feasts at the end here, right? They're the second coming of Christ. And there are those who would say, I I don't think they're going to be literally physically fulfilled. I don't think that. I think it's just spiritual. And and there are spiritual fulfillments already going on, so I think it's done. And, And it is true, you do get to see the Day of Atonement-like celebrations in the church today, right? That sin is paid for and that sin is put away on a regular, ongoing basis. Praise be to God for that, that we have hope and life in Him. And I just wrote a few verses down, Romans 3.25. says, God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice by substitution through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Man, that he is our substitution, he paid for our sin. This is an ongoing today in the church that we have this hope. And Hebrews 9.26, Jesus, ready? Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Not only did he pay for it, he put it away. And a yes, these all going on today for us. Romans 5.10, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from wrath uh, by, uh, from God. And such a hope that we have from him, saved by him from the wrath of God, we actually have this spiritual fulfillment of these feasts already today. But man, there is coming an ultimate, final fulfillment in Jesus Christ, ultimately, finally being brought to bear. And uh, I'm just going to go to this timeline real quickly here, and um, let's talk this through, all right? So this is at the bottom of your bulletin as well. The first coming, these are the first three feasts right? So we've already talked through this. This already happened. This is a couple thousand years ago. Jesus Christ coming. He died. He was buried. And He raised from the dead. He is risen from the dead. And all of God's people said, man, this happened. It's true. First coming. He is Lamb. He is Savior. And 50 days later, the Holy Spirit then was sent down. He came down and 3,000 saved that day and the church began as we know it. This is some 2,000 plus years. We're in this age now, right? And then we move to the tribulation era. This is something spoken of in scripture. Seven years of time that's actually coming at the end of the church segment. Seven years of time to bring it to a close. The sin is going to run rampant. The Antichrist is going to be in control. God's wrath is going to be poured down on in different measures along the way. And then Jesus Christ comes. His second coming at the end of the tribulation to bring it to a close. Please hear me. Literally, physically, and at the end of the tribulation coming, he is coming as king of kings. And all of God's people said, And this is a huge deal. This is the model. And post him coming, he then sets up the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth and then the new heavens and new earth, eternity. And we're going to talk about these next week, all right? So I just want to say this real quickly. Um, The church ends up, there's a topic of rapture and you may have heard of that term. And I just want to say something about it. Many of you may actually think that the rapture and the second coming are the same thing. And I just want to say this, let's be really clear, they're not, okay? So here's a couple of words you may want to write down. Rapture equals church up, okay? Very basic. Rapture equals church up. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 that the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are alive and remain come with. There is a glorified body and a twinkling of an eye like that fast, boom, church up. That's the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of it and 1 Thessalonians 4, all right? The rapture is church up. Everybody say church up. up. That's the rapture. Second coming is Christ and church and all others, church and Christ and all others coming down. Are you hearing it? So the church up, hanging with Christ for a season of time, some seven years or less, depending on where you're at. And and, uh, I'm just telling you, we don't take a hard stand on where that is because Scripture doesn't give the overt statement You have to kind of read between the lines to figure out where you believe the rapture occurs most, but somewhere up in this area, church up with Christ for a season, and then coming down with Christ, all right? The second coming is Christ and the church coming down, okay? So the rapture and the second coming, two very different things, just to make sure we get that, and depending on where you think the rapture is, they might get closer and closer together, but you still have church up and then church and Christ down, all right? Let's make sure we get that. So, that said, this is where we're at timeline-wise. This is what we're dealing with. Again, these were fulfilled literally, physically, consecutively. So, we are now looking for these three at the end to be literal, physical, consecutive fulfillments in the second coming of Christ. And I just want to say this. As you saw last week, seventh month, first day is the Feast of Trumpets. Today, we're on seventh month, tenth day, and next week is seventh month, fifteenth day, all right? we're going to see those come together all literally, physically, consecutively. That's where we're at. So now we pick up this timeline. Second coming, end of the tribulation, the church age coming to a close, and that tribulation finishing. And we are now picking up with Revelation 19. So I just want to tie this together real quickly. Remember, uh, Last week was the Feast of Trumpets, the in-gathering call, and the elect being rallied together from all over the world as they follow Jesus Christ, and those who already believed, and then those coming to belief in him, and Romans 11 says, the fullness of the Gentiles will come in, and then all Israel will be saved. A massive outpouring of salvation and mercy poured on, and then, please hear me, God dealing with those who will not come to him for mercy, Those who are standing in rebellion, and that's where we pick this up, is Revelation 19. He is the restoring God, the Feast of Trumpets, celebrating and setting much of that up. And now we're closing out here, seeing the destroying piece, Revelation 19. Here we go. It starts out in verse 11. Then I saw, and uh, just so you know, that phrase in the Greek, kai idon, you're going to see it several times in here. It's a really important phrase, then I saw. You may want to underline that there, but then I saw heaven opened, and behold, when we see the word behold, we say, check it out, out, right? A white horse, that means victory. Everybody say victory, victory, right? The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Everybody say, this is Jesus. Right? And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, authority. He is in charge, king of kings, right? It says, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, some will say this is blood from his cross. This is his own blood, and that which he pays for sin with. Right? And some would say this is his blood. Others will say this is the blood of those he is about ready to face, representing that. And uh, either way, can we just admit that a guy coming in with a robe drip, dipped in blood is a bit intimidating? right? And, and whatever it means, and both of those are legit. Yes, on the cross, and yes, on the other side of it, there is going to be rebellion squelched and both true. And it says, and the name which he is called is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus Christ. And it says, the armies of heaven. Everybody say, that's us. All right, this is the church called up into heaven and now transformed. This is us with him, along with all the angels, now glorified, celebrating him. The church has been called up, and we are now spending some time with him. And at this point, Christ gets on his white horse, and we're like, it's on! And there's this huge celebration as the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on white horses. We all, dressed in white, celebrating the purity of what he's walked us into and the purity of what he's doing. And the white horses, again, representing victory. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Please hear me, the only weapon brought to this war is the word of Jesus Christ. Get this, man. In the beginning, God created. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Colossians 1 tells us it's Christ who's creating there. It's his spoken word. Let there be, and there is. Jesus Christ, he is creator. Then he came as humble servant, savior. He went to the cross for us, and man, he is coming again as king of kings and lord of lords. Him in charge. Amen, man. He speaks, and it is. The only weapon he brings is the sword of his mouth, the sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Ready? On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings. Everybody say it big, say it loud. King of Kings, He's in charge. He's already got the tattoo on his leg. I'm just saying, I'm kind of going to want to see. Can I see your tattoo? Like, I, I can't imagine what this looks like to declare who He is. And and notice the next phrase here. Then I saw, connecting the next vision together. Then I saw an angel. An angel standing in the sun with a loud voice, he called out to all the birds that fly directly overhead. He said, come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of, ready, listen to the names, kings, and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, And then the flesh of all men, like the rest of those who are willing to fight against him. These are all the battling names listed. Notice it doesn't say the women and the children and the others, right? This is the battling crew coming together. It says, both free and slave, both small and great. Ready? Next phrase, really important. And I saw. So here's the start of the next vision piece, right? That vision just prior was the angel calling the birds together. Here's the next vision. Uh, And here we go. The beast and the kings of the earth with their armies. There are three groups listed here. The beast, that's the Antichrist, the one who's going to rule in the tribulation over those seven years. The beast and the kings and their armies. Those are the three listed. The beast, the kings, and the armies. Say it with me. Say those three. Beast, kings, armies. It's going to be really important in just a second. And the beast and the kings and the armies that gathered with him to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army, against Jesus Christ. And the beast, this is the Antichrist, it says, and the beast was captured. Like, that's it, man. We have this gigantor set up. All right, there's this white horse, and he gets on it, and he's got blood-dipped robe and he's got tattoo name and he's got the only weapon being his word and there's armies rallying with and he's got this thunderous cry and and they lost. Like that's how he throws it in. Like I'd have nothing to tell you. It just ends when Jesus Christ says enough it's over and that's it, man. Praise God. He speaks and it is. Zechariah 14, super clear about some of those details. I won't go into it, but man, I'm telling you. It says in verse 4 that the foot of Jesus touches down on the Mount of Olives and an earthquake rumbles and his word goes forth and it's done. The rebellion is squelched. It says, and the beast, the Antichrist, the one who was such a problem for seven years, done in one word with the false prophet who... In his presence, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image, like the false prophet connected with the beast, and so the beast and his power put down. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Everybody just say, "That's hell." Right? This is the long-term permanent place for them. They're done and uh, thrown there. And, uh, and then it says, "And the rest." And that's why I had you repeat these words. Verse 19 starts out. It says, the beast and the kings and their armies. And then it says, and the beast was thrown into the lake of fire along with the false prophet. And then it says, and the rest, the kings and the armies. The rest of verse 19 are all dealt with. Everybody who stood up to battle Jesus Christ, done in one fell swoop. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. He simply said the word, "Nuff," and it's over. That's it. The spoken word of Jesus Christ and it is done. It says, "And all the birds were gorged with their flesh." In other words, I told you so. Right? That's what's going on. And we need to grasp this, man. Jesus Christ He speaks and this world exists. He is creator. He comes to this earth. He is savior. And the first feasts were all about it. And I'm telling you, he is coming again as king of kings to rule this world, to reign over all. His spoken word, and it is enough. Hear me, man. Jesus Christ, we are offered mercy and grace. And goodness poured on. And do not toy with that option. Simple question, man. What difference does it make to me? Man, do you know the Savior of the world and the King of kings who is going to make all things right? Are you in ritual or relationship with this God? Are you ready to celebrate the one who is coming again? Man, I'm telling you, we're in the middle of this world and he is doing something with this church. And as we wander through this stage, don't lose sight. As we go day by day through this, God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. plan. He has a plan, man. And these are going to be capturing up the church. There is going to be a prep time, a massive celebration, and then we are coming down with him. Hear me, man. The king is coming to reign. And as we come down, we will see him with his spoken word take over. And Jesus Christ will rule for a thousand years on this physical earth and then replace it with the new heaven and new earth. Jesus Christ is king and savior and Lord. Mercy and grace are his glory, and he will bring the punishment on those who rebel against that. Man, hear your God and respond to him with all you've got. He is the king of kings. Come before him on your knees and be done with the rebellious sin. The day of atonement will be the final moment where it's all put to rest. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's pray.